Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, for the first time since Hitler was running around Europe, we have one country shelling another country in Europe. And the way the Obama administration broke the news, it was like item 3B in a statement from the State Department. I, I was just flabbergasted. I mean, Vladimir Putin seems emboldened by the West reaction, or to be honest, non-reaction, uh, to shooting down a civilian, to the shooting down of a civilian airliner by forces he had has backed, instigated, and armed. And I think he thinks he can now get away with shooting down uh, more airliners, uh, certainly or Ukrainian airliners. Maybe they'll be more careful. Let's hope of about civilian ones, and also just continue his assault on Ukraine. But there is something strange about a president of the United States talking about war in Europe. You know, and this isn't yeah. an internal war. This isn't you know Bosnia and Serbia fighting over the, the remains of Yugoslavia. This is an old-fashioned. Hi, I want to be a country over here. No, I want you to be a country over here. And it it's it's like oh yeah well let's see wait, uh, the president gave away some T-shirts to a band camp today. Oh, he, there was a you know some shells fired from Russia into Ukraine. I, I, it seems like the kind of thing president, the presidency was invented to deal with. Well, let's not re- forget that 20 years ago, people sort of talked about this two months ago when the Ukraine crisis began, but people have maybe forgotten a little bit. 20 years ago, we, among others, in effect guaranteed to Ukraine that their borders would be respected, that Russia would respect their borders if they gave up their nuclear weapons, the nuclear weapons they were left with when the Soviet Union fell apart. So the lesson is not just that we're not up to helping Ukraine defend itself, but that uh, we're not sort of willing to uh, carry out obligations that we pretty much took upon ourselves, along with some of the other Europeans, uh, when Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons. So it's it's really a, um, I mean, it's if you look, if people, you know, again, it's bad enough that it's happening, and of course, what does it tell everyone else around the world about our willingness or ability to step up? We're not even willing to give the Ukrainians defensive weapons, it seems. I believe, if we still, I don't think, have given them the most elementary weapons to defend themselves, let alone advisors who might help them uh, fight back more effectively, offensive weapons, and so forth. We're so fastidious about helping uh, a country that is not, you know, an innocent victim, um, and then we sort of say, well, we, you know, this is unfortunate what Putin is doing, but we do nothing. We do nothing. It's really startling. I mean, the president went to the Dutch embassy on uh, Tuesday and signed a guest book, and said, uh, you know, in honor of the victims of the plane crash, and said justice will be done. But he's doing nothing to see to it that justice is done. And if I were uh, a family member of one of the people lost in that plane, or if I were one of the countries like Malaysia or uh, the Netherlands who'd lost people on that plane, I would assume that whoever did it, which is we know is the either Russian forces inside Ukraine or inside and out, it appears they're going to get away with it. Right, but we're busy trying to broker a ceasefire, uh, Secretary Kerry is, between Hamas and Israel. Israel, by contrast, I might say, unfortunately with us, is acting against terrorists, is acting against people who have attacked their nation. Hamas unequivocally started this with both the kidnapping and and then the rockets. Uh, Then the rockets already were happening, actually, but, but, but weeks of rockets, weeks of warnings that this was intolerable. Israel has struck back. And our attitude seems not to be, hey, an ally who's willing to fight for ourselves, who's asking for nothing except a little bit of military aid to keep their ability to fight going and to defend themselves going. Uh, We should welcome such an ally, praise such an ally, and stand with such an ally. And instead, we're busy trying to mediate between our ally and a terrorist group. 
Uh, well, we should follow the example of the UN and pick sides. Alas, <laughs> the side the UN. What, is you know, pick, I'm I mean, glad you mentioned the UN. I've been obsessed with this the last 24 hours, and um, I don't think we have that much on it in the magazine, but because it, that was sort of a late-breaking development, I really think it is time to rethink uh, our engagement with the UN on many fronts, and maybe ultimately the UN entirely. I, I think a conservative politician who stands up and says, first of all, no money at all for the UN Human Rights Council. It's a total farce and disgrace. Right. Secondly, no money at all for the UN Refugees uh, uh, Organization, which has turned out to be, which has kept refugees in a horrible situation for, what, 60, 70 years right. and, and is now basically a facilitator for Hamas. And third, let's take a real look at the UN. Do we even think the UN on net does is a positive force in the world? if it ever was, and why are we therefore just going along with it at this point? I, I'm really becoming an anti-UN extremist, i got to say. <laughs> U.S. out of the U.N., says Bill Crystal. But listen, Absolutely, think, and, think and about U.N. This. out of the U.S. It's a good slogan, you it, know. It's, listen, it's, listen, time listen. Has, it's time has come. <laughs> Here is how bad it is. I can't think of another group on the planet that if they found terrorist rockets in one of their facilities would turn the rockets over to the terrorists twice. Not just once, but twice. I mean, if PETA found them, you know, if if the, you know, you know anything, the United Negro College Fund, if the Garden Club of Woonsocket, Rhode Island found them, they would at least say, well, I don't want these to go back to the terrorists. Only the UN is corrupt enough not only to find the rockets, but to return them so that they could be fired at Jews in Israel. Look, you're right. Objectively, uh, these to particular organizations of the UN, and I would say the UN as a whole in terms of its votes and its behavior, is objectively not even neutral between Israel and its terrorist enemies, but but is on the side of the terrorists. Uh, which makes the uh, the politics and the optics, as they say, even that much more important when you know the world is against you. Israel had a very bad moment this week with the uh, the shelling or bombing that it has been reported and then slightly retracted, hit a UN facility and, and 16 fatalities. How do you think Israel should handle circumstances like that that are going to come when you have military action? And also, is there something for America to learn about foreign policy and projecting strength from the way Israel does handle these difficult questions? I think actually this Israeli government has done a better job than in the past of explaining what's happened, of explaining that war sometimes will lead to innocents being killed, especially if Hamas has a conscious strategy of protecting its missiles with innocent civilians as opposed to protecting civilians by using missiles, which is the Israeli practice, um, and that they're you know ruthlessly and cynically uh, fighting from hospitals and from schools, uh, launching missiles from those schools, fighting from those schools, and, of course, and therefore if Israel has to retaliate, uh, civilians get killed. There have also been many cases where Israel has given notice and tried to get help the civilians, let the civilians get out. Uh, some of these injuries may be coming from uh, rockets launched by Hamas that have fallen short. So I think we've done a decent job of sort of explaining that, unfortunately, sadly, these things happen in war. More broadly, I do think, in a way, watching Israel fight this war, fight it seriously, take great risks, take casualties, uh, be reluctant, of course, to go in on the ground, but then feeling they have to because you just can't live with this kind of threat uh, to your own civilians, to your nation. Um, it's kind of a model for, for the West, actually. You know, They're doing what we tried to do, what we did in Afghanistan, what we tried to do in Iraq, what we did persevere and do in both those countries, and what we've done elsewhere in the world, which is to take on the terrorists, try to do it judiciously and discreetly in the sense of not harming uh, more innocent civilians than unavoidably get harmed in such circumstances, 
but being serious about doing it and willing to take casualties themselves and take great risks themselves to do it and willing to ignore fashionable world opinion clucking from you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away that somehow Israel should live with a terror group having the ability to shut down its airport, to shoot rockets against civilians, to burrow in, in tunnels and presumably stage mass terror attacks. So I actually think, and I, you know what's interesting is that Canada and Australia, which both have pretty impressive conservative governments now, have really seen that almost instinctively. They are siding with Israel. This, their, Israel's fight is our fight, their prime ministers say. Our president doesn't quite say that. Our president, while uh, 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 missiles are flying in the heart of, excuse me, uh, artillery shells fly in the heart of Europe and missiles fly in Gaza, he is, of course, meeting with the heads of Nicaragua, Honduras, and El Salvador to talk about a border problem at a border that he also has declined to visit. And I wonder about the uh, of the topics happening this week and covered in the Weekly Standard, if this isn't the one that will have the most immediate political impact, Bill, because people who, uh, when it comes to Ukraine, most Americans either say, A, it just shows President Obama was never good at being you know, president foreign policy-wise, or if they support Obama, they just don't want to talk about it. Israel, you know, that story has been around. It's kind of processed through the political you know, bloodstream. But I think this may be a moment when you have, as we do in Georgia, where I'm broadcasting from, 1,150 kids who've been dumped into the Georgia school system Right now, we're just finding out about it. The governor found out and wrote a letter yesterday so that when school starts in August, parents are going to be dropping their kids off at schools who have had to cancel programs to hire bilingual teachers or to who, who are going to be going requesting a tax hike to cover the additional expenses. I think this may be where an issue, immigration, hits Main Street in a very direct way. No, I think that's right. I think it's gone beyond being a public policy debate and the debate of how much you know, we should enforce the law versus amnesty, I mean, even the sort of more controversial parts of the old immigration debate, to a new, not really debate even, but to a new perception that things are simply out of control. I mean, you watch these scenes from the border, and then you see that kids are being shipped into communities without any notice to the mayor, and, and uh, God knows how they're going to fare, and I, I suppose soon we'll, they'll, people will tell us, well, they have to have their parents with them to do well, which I suppose is true in a way, but then suddenly we've got a huge migration of not just kids, but parents and family members. Um, I think people have a sense it's just out of control. It's like a bad dystopian novel or movie and the president is utterly unwilling to deal with it, utterly unwilling to either change the laws if they need to be changed or even interpret the laws uh, in a way different than he has been so that uh, we can simply send these kids back or very quickly send them back. Um, he, and that's what's most amazing to me. He hasn't even requested a change in the 2008 law that allegedly ties his hands. I'm not sure if it really does. He's certainly standing by his 2012 executive order, which clearly the, the huge amnesty for young people in the U.S., which clearly was the magnet that began to draw in these tens of thousands of kids from Central America, that combined maybe with the 2008 law, you know, uh, anomaly that you can't, it's harder to send them back to Central America than to Mexico. So he doesn't want to do anything about that. I think the Republicans in Congress, um, they were intimidated at first, oh, we can't look harsh, we have to appropriate money. First of all, there's no evidence that this money is needed in the very short term for the next month, uh, or I guess what is the two months of the fiscal year is going. Uh, secondly, what the president's going to use the money for is not necessarily what it should be used for. And Republicans are absolutely right to insist on the legal changes before they appropriate any money, or that the money should only be appropriated pursuant to those legal changes. So I, I think this is a big moment, and I think Republicans need to keep their nerve and not simply feel, get intimidated and sort of end up going halfway to where the president is or giving him half the money 
or anything like that. This is out of control, and Republican, the Republican position has to be, we need to change policies. Well, I was talking to our mutual friend Byron York earlier today with the Washington Examiner, and he said that he would have believed two weeks ago there's no way Congress goes home for the August recess without doing something about this, and now he believes they will, and that they will actually not act. And I think I think that's a mistake, I and mean, I think it's important for Republicans to do something, to take an affirmative step that towards a solution, whether the Senate passes it, whether the president signs it, whatever, because I think that if Washington goes home, everybody goes home without doing anything, then it'll be a pox on all your houses. And what's the difference between the Republicans in the House and the Democrats in the Senate? I mean, there's a fair amount of that pox on all your houses filling now. You could argue that politically that still will help Republicans more than Democrats. It's the Democrats who are often vulnerable Senate seats, the Democratic incumbents who are most risk. But I, I, I would tend to agree with you. I've had this conversation with many Republicans on the Hill. They say, what's well, complicated? It's hard to know how much money to give. Don't give any money at all for now. Right. Just change the 2008 law and establish that the House disapproves of the 2012 executive order and pass that at least, and that, and that it should be reversed or at least severely limited and made super clear that it doesn't af- apply to any of these kids and won't apply to any of these kids. Um, just pass that. At least then I think House Republicans can honestly say, look, we tried to address the core policy issues here, at least two of them, uh, and why isn't the Senate taking it up? I, I would prefer that. But having said that, if the choice is doing nothing or giving in to the president, I would prefer doing nothing. Oh, yes, but I, I mean, like, as you pointed it out, you can... Be, but it needn't be that choice. Yeah, I, I mean, why not just, just pass a one-page bill that changes the law so right. that we can treat them like the same way we, the same way we treat children from Mexico. And then you've done, you said, look, this would actually help solve the problem. We passed it. We're ready to go. And if the Senate picks that up and slaps some money on it, that's fine. Then you can decide how to go from there. But to go home without doing anything, I mean, there, I, I agree with you that the, the less people like government, the more they tend to vote Republican. But there is a point where everybody just starts checking out. If there's no action, this is an easy win for the GOP, and I'm afraid they're going to walk away from it. Yeah, I think it's a pretty easy win, and I'm not sure if they're going to walk away from it. Not in general, I think you know they, they're, they're right to be wary of doing anything that helps the president. They shouldn't do that. But they are missing some chances to do things that clarify what the Republican position is and mm-hmm. would be if they controlled, would be more effectively if they controlled both houses. And another instance of this is on the... Uh, insurance uh, corridors, or they, right. can, they can kill a bailout for the insurance companies. Uh, the good news is I think this week they finally have moved, to, they're going to do this. There's a hearing Monday, and I think it'll come up on the floor with the, with the first week they get back from September, and I think the House Republicans will vote against a bailout for the insurance companies, that's a bailout that helps support Obamacare. It's kind of a twofer. You go after Obamacare, you raise the salience of that issue again, and you're on the side of attacking crony capitalism, attacking the insurance companies, and let the Democrats explain why the insurance companies deserve a bailout. So if they moved on that, if they moved on the legislation with respect to immigration, if they moved on one or two other things, the Export-Import Bank perhaps, exempting community banks from Dodd-Frank, these are huge things, most of them. There are other things that would have to be done in these policy areas ultimately to get them to a sensible policy, but these at least point in the right direction, and I think it would be good for the House Republicans to be energetic and active on these things instead of simply throwing up their hands and saying, well, you know, Democrats control the Senate, President Obama's in the Oval Office, we can't do anything. Bill Crystal, thanks for joining us here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.